So before we get into the message today, I just want to ask you to join me in prayer and invite the Spirit to take over. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to, to gather together and to, uh, to fellowship as a body of believers and um, just to enjoy company with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, get into your word this morning and to learn more about you from it. Father, we thank you so much for giving it to us so that we could come to know you, so that we could learn about you. And uh, we just thank you so much for, for that. You as our, our creator have, has chosen to, to reveal yourself to us in a way that, in which we can understand. And uh, we just thank you so much uh, for that. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds um, this morning to your word. Help us to understand what it is that you have to teach us today. And Father, just I, I ask that you would empty me of myself and just fill me with your spirit and, and just use me to teach today. And I would just thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we also lift up the church, the churches and the ministry that we uh, that Amber and Julie mentioned here. Uh, we, we pray for the church in Nicaragua and just all of the things that are going on in, in that part of the world. And we just pray for uh, for encouragement and that your spirit would do mighty things uh, there as well as uh, with the Run Global uh, mission in Nepal and India. We just pray for uh, continued souls to be saved. Father, you are adding more to your number every day, and we just thank you so much for that, and we're looking forward to seeing all of those new believers that are coming to know you in the kingdom that's coming. We're looking so much forward to that and just getting to see everybody. Father, your your word teaches us that that um, we will see every we will see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in the kingdom, and uh, we just look forward to that day. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. So, uh, we're going to uh, take a break from Job. I know we actually only had one lesson in it already, but we're going to take a break from Job because I was not prepared to teach on that today. Um, and uh, in, in Greg's absence, I've uh, offered to, uh, to talk about something today that actually God has been teaching me. And so, uh, in my quiet times, uh, when I study the Word, um, I've actually been if you've been, if you'd heard me talk, or you're in my small group, uh, you've probably heard me talk about some of this a little bit already. Um, but uh, I have just been camping out um, in the Gospel of John, and quite honestly, it's been right in the uh, the sixth chapter. I have just been just living in there and eating it up, pun intended. Um, you're going to see what I mean by that here in a minute. Uh, just just enjoying what Jesus is teaching. Uh, to his people here, to the people here in John 6. And so that's where we're going to be today. So I invite you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I just want to, um, I want to share with you something that happened to me actually this morning. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing how God works. And, and he gave this to me this morning to, uh, I think that you're going to see how it might even apply uh, to the to the lesson today. So that's one of the points later on is God's providence and just how incredible it is. So uh, this morning, uh, well actually every Sunday morning, we have a tradition in our house. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, um, I, uh, I, uh, I have two daughters. One is three and the other one is one. She'll be two in July. And uh, they are just so much fun, a bundle of joy. Um, and all the spectrums that fun can bring, right? So yes, there's going to be some bad times, but it's all fun at the end of the day. And it's just a, it's just, there's been such a blessing uh, in our life. Um, and uh, one of the traditions that we have every Sunday morning, I try very hard uh, to make them pancakes. Pancakes is our Sunday morning tradition. Uh, we, the girls get up, they get up at the crack of dawn, um, 6.45 usually, sometimes 4.45 depending on the morning. 
Um, today was I was fortunate. They woke up at 6.45, so that was good. Um, but uh, get them up and, and get moving, and uh, we eat some pancakes. Well, uh, this particular morning, um, as I had been kind of, you know, doing the last minute preparing uh, for this, for what I'm about to share with you today, uh, we were a little bit late to the punch uh, on getting the pancakes ready. And so... Um, so as I'm trying to scramble to get pull all the ingredients together and start think, making things work, my daughters are running around the house going, I want cereal! I want cereal! I want cereal! And I'm like, you guys know, I just talked about we're going to have pancakes earlier. We're, we're going to have pancakes. No, 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 I don't want pancakes. I want cereal! I want cereal! They were hungry, right? There's a technical term for that, and it's called hangry, Right? We all know what hangry is. Like, it's a combination. The definition of hangry is when you're hungry and you become angry. And hangry. Okay. So we were experiencing hangry this morning. And what they wanted was they wanted immediate satisfaction. They wanted immediate gratification. I know the cereal happens quick. All Dad has to do is pour that cereal into the bowl, pour the milk in there, and we're good to go. So they run around. I don't want pancakes. I don't want pancakes. I want cereal. And I said, girls, trust me, you're going to love the pancakes. Pancakes are so much better than cereal. They're so much better. There's maple syrup, there's butter, there's fruit, there's pancakes. No, 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 no. Well, finally, after a while, after this kind of running around, screaming and things like that, Kalia decides, for whatever reason, our oldest, to pop up on the table and look to see what I was doing. And she gets up there. And this is the one that started the whole thing, okay, with the two of them, right? Started leading the bunch. I want cereal. She hops up there. She goes... Oh, pancakes. Pancakes. So as she drew closer to me, she could see what I was doing. And she could see that I was starting to make pancakes. And at that moment, she knew, oh, there's something way better than cereal coming. It's pancakes. So I hope that this morning is some spiritual pancakes for you. Okay? We're going to talk about the bread of life and how Jesus is the bread of life. And sometimes uh, good things come to those who wait and are patient. All right, so uh, our main text for this morning is John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. So uh, if, you're, if you're there, um, I don't know if I have, hopefully there. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah, John 6, 22, verse, uh, verses 22 through 35. And then a little bit later I'll... I'll um, uh, read a little bit more than that, but we'll just start with reading these, uh, reading these verses here um, this morning. So, uh, starting with verse 22, John John records. Oh, we're down there. Okay, well, uh, John records uh, starting with verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. So just to kind of set the scene here, give you some context on what's happening, right? Um, Here in verse 22, we come at a point where after Jesus had fed the 5,000. So if you're familiar with that story uh, where uh, it's the time of the Passover, and I'm going to say that again, it's the time of the Passover, that's going to be important to understand some of the things we're actually going to talk about here uh, in a minute. So this is the time of the Passover. The, 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 what happened with Moses and the Hebrew nation coming out of Egypt and what all precipitated that was, on, was fresh on their minds. They're thinking about that. Well, also, there's this big crowd that's following Jesus because he's been performing miracles and, and healing people, and so they're kind of interested in what he's doing. He's kind of an interesting guy. And he has a really, really great way of speaking. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's God. Uh, but they're just drawn to him, okay? And so uh, there's this large crowd and 5,000 people. In fact, if you, the Bible says 5,000, what they probably are really meaning is about 20,000 people. There were probably 20,000 people here on this hillside, okay? And they're hungry. They are really hungry. And his disciples approach Jesus and say, how are we going to feed these people? There's surely there's not enough bread in the town uh, to take care of that. And Jesus says, I'll take care of this. And so what does he do? You guys know, if you're familiar with the story, you know that there was this little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And miraculously, Jesus was able to feed all of those people with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all he needed. And there were 12 baskets full of leftovers after the fact. So a pretty big miracle. And uh, verse 22 through uh, 24, and even beyond that, indicate that the people caught on to what he did. Like, whoa, this is kind of a big deal. This guy just fed us with five loaves of bread, and somehow he was able to make us all full, right? And so they're trying to find him, and they want to be near him. But Jesus catches on to why they want to follow him. Normally you would think you'd be kind of flattered about, you know, all these people kind of following you and and wanting to do what you're doing and wanting to be where you're at and all those things. But Jesus isn't flattered by that. Notice what he says when they're coming and looking for him. They say, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, This crowd was just full of materialists. They wanted to have their bellies filled. They didn't really, they didn't fully understand why Jesus had come. This was a perfect opportunity for Jesus to drill down into that, and he does here in this passage. So they they weren't moved by what he was saying. Their hearts weren't moved. They were moved by their bellies being full. And they wanted more of that. Actually, in the passage um, uh, earlier where it talks about the uh, feeding of the 5,000, at the end, 
they started to recognize that this guy was kind of a big deal. And so perceiving that he was a big deal, they wanted to grab him and make him their king. Which is interesting because he is their king. But they wanted to grab him and make him king and prop him up because if he's the Messiah, he's going to usher in the eternal kingdom. We are going to rock it. Rome, see you later. Right? That's what they're thinking. All they wanted was for them to be fixed now. They wanted to be, they wanted to have their fill of physical fulfillment now. Now, what I'm saying, don't get me wrong, what I'm saying here is, it, 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 what I'm not saying is, it's not bad to trust Jesus to provide for you the things that you need. In fact, uh, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus teaches us that very thing is to not be anxious but to trust in the Lord for everything. Okay, So I'm not saying that uh, we should not trust in Jesus for, to, to provide us for what we need. But what they were thinking about, Jesus caught onto their hearts. It was, it was the only thing that they were thinking about was the physical need right now, not the spiritual need that they really had. And so just as an example, um, these, these people here, and thinking about ourselves and applying ourselves into this situation, if Christianity were suddenly made illegal, right, and we faced arrest for being Christians, would we still claim to be Christians? That's kind of the mindset here that Jesus is drawing out. It's like, do you really are you coming to me for me? Or are you coming to me for you? And we can even fall into this tendency today. America, today, we enjoy wealth beyond anything that Rome ever saw. I mean, Rome was a very wealthy, very wealthy nation, very wealthy culture for its time. But they would be appalled, not appalled, they would be amazed by what we experience today in America and the wealth that we have. And we can have a tendency to continuously and habitually um, seek after material and sensual things, not because they satisfy us. Let me say that again. We, continuous, we, we have the tendency to continuously and habitually seek after things that are material and sensual, not because they satisfy us, but because they don't satisfy us. What did I say? We continuously and habitually go after those things because they don't satisfy us. So why not go to the one or the thing or, the, or God who can satisfy all of our needs, both physical and spiritual? And that is what Jesus is drilling into, into here. If the things that we go after, those material and sensual um, satisfying things, the things that we think that satisfy us, if they did satisfy us, we wouldn't need to go after them anymore. We wouldn't need any more. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now this is where the crowd is starting to go, oh, okay, he's, he's talking about something a little bit more serious here than I'm ready to listen to. So they start challenging him because they don't really want to believe what he has to say. 
They said to him, verse 28, they said to him, what must, we do, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? In other words, they're challenging him. Okay, you talk about these works of God, what must we be doing? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Period. That you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Are you kidding me? This crowd who just got their bellies full by five loaves. 20,000 people got their bellies full over five loaves of bread. And they say, they have the audacity. We have, we have this tendency. We approach God this way. We have the audacity. What sign do you perform that I should believe in you? Are you kidding me? Listen to this. It gets even better. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they're saying, Moses, this guy that they looked up to, this, the great patriarch of the nation, of the Hebrew nation, well, he was the one that gave us the manna in the wilderness, and he did it for 40 years. You only did it one day, Jesus. One meal. But Moses was able to do it for 40 years. Come on, show us what you got. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So they thought they knew their Bibles. They thought they knew the Scripture. But Jesus had to correct them and say, No, no, Moses wasn't the one that gave you the bread. It was God. God provided that manna for them. Not Moses. And the statement that he makes in verse 35 is the kicker. And that's where it really starts to drill down in their hearts when they're hearing this. He said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That's when the light bulb should have gone on. Is, I am that bread. I come straight from heaven. I am who you're looking for. I am what's going to feed you. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I'm reading on past verse 35 here, verse 36, 37. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. At this moment, some of the Jews who really knew their Bible were really starting to realize, okay, he's saying something a little bit bigger here. He's claiming to be God. They got it. Listen to this. Verse 41. The Jews, so the Jews grumbled about him. And they're grumbling in their own 
you know, little corner over here. Um, when I was teaching kick uh, back with the kids, we, we used the term grumble, and we had to learn murmur, and we murmur, 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 murmur. So they're grumbling uh, in, the, in the back corner over here. And they say, they're grumbling because he said, verse 41, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? In other words, we know his dad and his mom. He's a carpenter, for goodness sake. He grew up in a barn. We know exactly where this guy came from. How in the world can he say he's from heaven? And Jesus answered them. So they're over here grumbling, and Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And he says, uh, do not grumble among yourselves. I would have been like, whoop. Okay. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now, this, I, I love this part. This is what gets me. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. In other words, you guys look to Moses, and you look at all the manna that he gave for 40 years, but guess what? They died. They're not living eternal life. What I am willing to offer you, what I want to give to you, they're dead. This, verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We're drilling down a little bit deeper every time Jesus starts talking. Okay, Now, now they're really starting to get upset. These Jews are starting to really get upset. Okay, first of all, you're saying that you're God. You're claiming that, you're, that you are God manifest in the flesh. And now you're saying that the bread that you're going to give us is your flesh? What in the world are you talking about? You're going to give us your flesh? So what do they say? Verse 52, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Hold the phone. What did you just say, Jesus? What? So let's think about the crowd here, the context of the crowd. There are a a bunch of people here. And when Paul talks about the Jews, when he says the capital Jews, uh, or I'm sorry, not Paul, John, When John is writing and he says the Jews, he's referring to the leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders, the the Pharisees, those types of people. And they knew knew the Scriptures. They knew the Word, or at least so they thought. 
Okay? He's also talking to um, everyone else because there were people there who weren't as learned as the Jews were or as, as these particular Jews were, the Pharisees. There were other Jews and probably other people, other Romans and things like that around the area. So we've got to think of the entire context of the crowd here. But everyone, when they're listening, goes, I'm not eating somebody. That's just, that's just weird. Let's think about what he's referring, what he's talking about here. Because remember, these people had just gone to, uh, because they perceived that this man was a great man, that Jesus was a great man, and that there was something special about him. They wanted him to be king. He wanted them to be their king. And those who knew the scriptures were thinking, this could be the Messiah. This could be the one, the Christ who is to come, who's going to usher in the eternal kingdom, and we're going to live forever in the promised land with the Messiah right here. They are thrilled. And then he says, I am the bread of life, and the bread that I give to you is my flesh. And you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. How in the world do you get blood from something? Not to be gruesome, but to be real. Okay, how do you get blood from something? And in that day and age, it came by way of death. It came by way of death. People who are really listening to him and what he was saying, they probably caught on to the fact that he's talking about dying or that he's going to give up himself physically by means of death. And they would see that later with the cross. But that's how it came. That's how you could get the, that's how you could get the blood. It was by death. And so, there, so some of these people are thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. This, was the, this is the Messiah. This is the one that was to come. This is the Christ. This, he's doing all these great things and he's just gave us all this bread. I mean, he's coming to usher in the kingdom, right? And then he's talking about dying? That's not eternal. That's not eternal. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I want this. This is kind of, I'm not sure I like this. So they start to fall away. They start to fall back. They're like, okay, this isn't for me. It's more than what I'm willing to, to commit to. It also means that all of this context, everything that Jesus is explaining here, is that the only way to get to eternal life and to have eternal life and to be in the eternal kingdom is through Christ, is through Jesus. It's exclusive. It's only him. And this kind of bothered them too because they had thought that, especially the Jews, they had thought, well, I'm, I'm following all your laws. I've memorized everything. I'm following it to last T. I even made up 600 laws to make sure I didn't break one. Surely I have done enough to get into heaven. Surely I have done enough. Jesus, look at me. Surely you want to be my king. What this is saying is that we can do nothing to earn our way into heaven. The only thing we can do, and the only thing that Jesus says that we can do, is to believe in him. To believe that he's the Christ. To believe that he is the living bread that came down from heaven. And to believe that he is God, our king. That's the only thing we can offer. Jesus offered everything else that needs to be offered. 
He offered everything. He gave it all. So pun aside, this concept was a little bit difficult for people to swallow. Verse 60 says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? You know that the cross is the most, probably one of the most offensive things to this world? When it comes down to it, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it, It's a pretty offensive story. It's a pretty offensive um, thing to consider, a concept. Because it means, it, it, it kind of sounds silly, because there's, I mean, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can, there's nothing I can bring to this. It's all, only, all, all I have to do is believe in Jesus. That's it? That's all I have to do? Jesus says, do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Jesus is saying, the Father knows who is coming to me. The Father knows. And I'm coming to claim them. Remember back in verses 35 through uh, 40, Jesus says, actually I'm going I'm to start in verse uh, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So the father has promised an inheritance to his son, to Jesus, to our king. He has promised an inheritance. That inheritance is the church. And all creation with it. But that inheritance is the church. Jesus came to claim what belongs to him. How cool is that? If you're a believer today, how cool is that? That the Creator came to die on the cross. For you, for you, for you. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. After He rose from the grave. You've probably heard me say this before, but this is something that just gets me. It just grips me. It just, it's amazing to me. After Jesus rose from the grave, after the disciples saw him, okay, in flesh and blood, eating with them, he was eating. He had fish in his belly. He was eating after he rose from the grave. He had his body after rising. What was the thing that he used to show Thomas that he was who he said he was? His scars in his hands and in his side. The perfect God. The perfect creator who never had any blemish ever. The perfect lamb. Forever, forever, forever will have scars in his hands and in his side. And we will see that 
forever and be reminded forever that he gave everything. That he became imperfect so that we could be perfect. That just blows my mind. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> but that, is, that, that just blows my mind. A perfect God would be willing to do that for us. Yet he did. He is the bread on whom we must feast. Verse 66, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer, no longer walked with him. Okay, so who is he talking about here? Well, John's talking about probably the disciples, just as in general term, the followers, everybody who's following Jesus. There were several disciples, several of those followers, not including the 12, that decided like, okay, I, this isn't for me. This sounds kind of weird. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want anything to do with this. So they walked away. And Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus brings the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. This reminds me of uh, Psalm chapter 119, uh, verses 1 through 16. And I just want to read that for you today because we need to be, what I'm getting at here, when it, when it comes down to it, what I'm getting at here is, it's funny how Jesus uses the word bread to refer to himself, the bread of life. Because bread is a, a, a food group or a substance that we all need. Now, some of us can't eat bread, and I understand that. There's some gluten issues with that, and it's probably because of the way we make it and all that stuff. I'm sure I'm not going to get into that today because I don't know enough about it. But bread, generally speaking, especially in this time, was you, you could live off of bread. You could live off of it. That's all you needed, bread and water. Bread and water, all you needed. It's funny how Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. In other words, I'm everything you need. I, I give you everything you need. I give you everything you need. And one of the things that we have today that's, that's, that's a crystal clear gift to us from Christ is his word, is the word of God. And uh, I want to read to you uh, David just expressing his excitement about the word of God here. And I, and I just ask you and challenge you to, to con even consider thinking this way when you approach the word and when you approach Jesus. It is Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. David writes, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed upon all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
we should have that excitement when it comes to the Word of God. And we should be feasting on it as if it's something that we need. Because guess what? It is. It may sound silly, but our souls need fed even more than our physical bodies need fed. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, you are being fed. Your soul is being fed whether you realize it or not. There are so many different things that come at us in this world today that feed you, that feed your soul. I have nothing against books. I have nothing. I love reading books. I have nothing against movies. I have nothing against TV. I like doing those things too. But I am just letting you know and helping you remember you get fed in more ways than you realize. Feast on the Word of God. Feast on Jesus. Because He is what gives you everything that you need. He's our Creator. He's our atonement, and he's our king. So, uh, in closing, I just want to share with you the, 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 the kind of the, what do I have here? Four things. Four things that I learned from studying this chapter. That just kind of, as I was studying this, it was kind of fun for me, and I want to share them with you uh, just as we close. Um, I found this amazing, and it's kind of changed the way I've thought about evangelism. Um, and it's this. Jesus ministered and evangelized to all of those people, knowing that many would walk away without believing him. He fed them. He fed 20,000 people, knowing that a majority of them, in fact, there's probably only about 12 left over <laughs> after we're all done. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know exactly. The numbers aren't given to us. But many left. And Jesus still loved them enough to feed them. And not just that, he preached to them. He evangelized, knowing that many would walk away without believing in him. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but the, uh, the, the second thing that I kind of learned from this is that the people were seeking Jesus because they wanted their physical and present needs met. They wanted to be taken care of right now. They wanted the kingdom to come right now. The other thing that I found incredible, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, is that the providence of God is incredible. And what do I mean by that? The providence of God. Well, it's God's way of just making things happen and doing things in a particular way and all for His glory and for His benefit. His providence is incredible, even down to what we might consider the most minuscule of details. The things you'd be like, huh, Really? That had something to do with the whole story? Yep. It did. God provides and uses each one of these details for his glory. So, think about this. I mentioned earlier, I asked you to remember something, right? It's the Passover, right? This happened. What was going on happened around the time of the Passover. And the Passover, if you recall from Exodus chapter 12, was right before the Hebrews left Egypt. Well, what was the one thing that um, allowed, uh, caused Pharaoh to say, okay, fine, get out of here? What happened? Right, the firstborn child was, actually, not just the firstborn child, the firstborn uh, creature, really. Every, every firstborn had, was slain. And, that, and the reason why that happened was because of the, the angel of death that came through, right? God allowed 
this angel to come into the land and slay every firstborn child and beast. And the one thing that protected the Hebrew nation, Moses through God, or I'm sorry, God through Moses, told the people to find a spotless lamb, one without blemish, who was perfect, kill it, take its blood, and put that blood over the doorpost, and then after that, roast the entire lamb and eat it. And eating that lamb, they identified with it because of the sacrifice that it made. In fact, they identified with it so much because it had been kind of like a pet to them. Because what they would do is they would bring that lamb into the household and the kids would get to know it and and this lamb would be there. And then they had to kill it. And at this very time that Jesus was teaching all of these things, the priests were gathering the Passover lambs for the feast that was about to occur and for the sacrifice that it was about to be made with all of those lambs. So this would have been fresh in their mind. And then we have the manna from heaven that God used in that day, back when they had left Egypt. They got upset. The people got upset because they're like, Moses, you left us. You, you let us out of Egypt. We had plenty of food there. Now we're going to die of starvation in the desert. You've got to feed us. And so the manna was provided for 40 years. All of this building up, I think, partially for this moment in John 6. The providence of God is incredible. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it talks about the the Son of Man being presented in front of the Ancient of Days. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, go read Daniel 7. You'll be a little bit confused, but then you'll be happy when you finish reading it. Um, But... uh, and remember, I, I say confused jokingly, right? Because God is not the author of confusion. Okay, so I'm sorry I said confused, but, but, um, but I'm not. But uh, the Son of Man is presented in front of the Ancient of Days. I say the Son of Man, and, it's, and even Daniel records the Son of Man. The Jews would have known exactly what Jesus was saying when he said the Son of Man is the bread of life. They would have known. They would have started to pick up on it right away. And then in Daniel chapter 12, uh, end of verse 1 through verse 2, talks about how all of the dead will be raised to life. And what does Jesus say in verse 40 of chapter 6? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. The providence of God is incredible. And then I've said this multiple times, and we'll close with this. Jesus is the bread of life. He provides everything we need, both physical and eternal. We only need to rely on him and everything he says. Everything he says. Everything. He's our creator, our atonement for sin, and our king. And we've talked about all of that uh, here in this chapter. Just like we need bread every day for physical growth, we need Jesus every day for spiritual growth. And it really is that simple. It's that easy. We need him for spiritual growth. And we need his word. We need him. He is the only one who can satisfy all of our needs. So my question for you today is, do you trust him? Do you trust him to satisfy your every need? Will you follow him? As silly as it might sound. 
Now, some of you who have already put your faith in Christ today, listen to me saying that word silly, you'll probably balk at it like, why would you say that? And that's exactly the response that you should have. It's very similar to Peter's response when Jesus asked the question, do you want to go away as well? What did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You are the ones that provide you are the one who provides the words of eternal life. I have nowhere else to go but at your feet. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this opportunity this morning just to, just to dive into your word and just see just how, how much there is and, and even down to the very smallest details that we may not realize at first, but then as we dig a little bit deeper, we realize just, just how incredible you are and how infinite your mind is and, and putting it all together in a way for us to see and understand and learn from you. Father, I just, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. And... and Father, I also just, I am overwhelmed by just the fact that you came to put on flesh. You entered into this world through a manger. You could have come in, trumpets blaring, lightning flashing, thunder roaring, for the whole world to know that the king had come. But you came in through a manger. Through through birth. then you lived, you lived a perfect life, and then you went to the cross. And I am just so overwhelmed by the fact that you would do that, knowing that that was what was going to have to take place, and yet you did it for us. And by going to the cross, satisfying the wrath of God that we deserve for sinning against you, for committing cosmic treason against you. But you didn't stop there. You didn't stop at the cross. You came back. You rose again. And you showed us what resurrection looks like. And Father, we are, I am, we are looking so much forward to that day when you will raise us on the last day. And there will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. It will just be you. And on this earth, in the renewed earth, in the new heavens and the new earth, in your kingdom. We look forward to that day. Father, we trust you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Father, please protect us today. Um, help us, to, as we drive home, help us to be safe and focus on you and bring us back next week so we can get back into Job. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.